Uh, Tonight's New Testament reading comes from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Yo, I'm, I am, I'm sweating over here. And uh, I felt like we already had church, amen? And now I got to get up here and, and bring the word. Um, I'm ready to keep on singing. I don't know about you, but um, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us through your holy word. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to learn how to forgive as you forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a, a story. Uh, I'm coming down here. You know, Glenn, he moves back and forth. I'm not as charismatic as Glenn, but uh, I, I'm going to try something different today. Amen. I want to start with a story. When I was in high school, uh, I won the Christian Character Award. Now, I won this award not because I was fighting for justice or, or speaking for righteousness, but, but, but because I was so quiet. And people thought, well, if he's not talking to me, he must be talking to Jesus because he's so quiet. And so fast forward four years, I'm in college at a Christian college called Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Now, you would think that the former recipient of a Christian character award would never get in trouble in a Christian college. But I was a business major. And I know what some of you are thinking, how could a business major have Christian character? And I asked myself the same question. Anyway, I was, I was in a, a management class and I forgot to do my homework. And I asked my classmates, I said, you know, did you do the homework? Did you do the homework? And several of them said no. So most of the class did not do the homework. So the professor, he asked me the first question, which was on the homework. And me being a, 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 the recipient of the Christian Character Award, he asked, you know, I couldn't lie. So I, I, I told him I didn't do the homework. And what happened afterwards uh, shook the foundation of my Christian character. He told me, Andrew, get out of my class. And I was like, what? Are you serious? And he said, did I stutter? Get out of my class. And so I left. I got kicked out of class at a Christian college, the former recipient of a Christian character award. And I remember going to my room, and I, I, I felt 
so upset. I was like, I was ashamed. I was angry. I, I was like, I've never been kicked out of class. How, how dare he kick me out of class? There were so many other people who didn't do their homework, and yet here I am sitting out of class. And so I realized that I had to practice forgiveness. I had to see this professor. I mean, this was just one of many classes. And so I, I realized I had to practice forgiveness. I had to forgive myself from the shame that I felt and forgive this professor. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to look at two uh, characteristics of forgiveness, two things, two points. I don't know if you're writing down notes, but for those who write down notes, the two points are this. The first one is the importance of forgiveness and the process of forgiveness. Point one, the, the importance of forgiveness and the process of forgiveness. We, we are continuing our one anothering series, and we're looking at how do we live in unity together. You know, we've been away for a year and a half in a pandemic. We haven't really been together as a church body, and so we need to relearn some things. And part of being in the body of Christ is uh, uh, learning how to recommit ourselves to one another, loving each other, and forgiving each other. Dr. John K. Roth, who is an ethics professor at DePauw University, uh, this professor surveyed different ways of approaching the Holocaust by examining the different conclusions scholars and Holocaust survivors reach when deciding whether or not perpetrators of the Holocaust should be forgiven. Roth opened his inspection with a statement attributed to Primo Levi, who was an Italian Jew who survived in Auschwitz and eventually became a writer. And this is what Levi said. He said, I have not forgiven any of the culprits, nor am I willing to forgive any one of them unless he has shown with deeds, not words, and not too long afterwards that he has become conscious of the crimes and errors and is determined to condemn them, to uproot them from his conscience and that of others. So for, for Primo Levi, forgiveness is not, is not just, a, a, you know, saying you're sorry, but it's uprooting from your conscience this horrible thing that you have done and making it your business to uproot it out of others. Mark Twain, Mark Twain said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is painful. But forgiveness is ultimately sweet, like the fragrance of a violet. So, you know, I, you know, I went to Redeemer Seminary, and, you know, like a lot of seminarians, hey, baby, my family just came up. I got six kids up there. Y'all can say hello. Uh, I, you know, I, anytime you hear a preacher preach and they say, well, the Greek word says, it's, it's, it can be very distancing. But I, I really looked at the Greek on this one because I, I, there was it's something really important that I, I want to uh, point home here, take, uh, take, take home here. So the word forgiveness in Colossians 3 and 13 in the Greek is karizomai. And this means to show oneself gracious by forgiving wrongdoing. Charizomai comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. And grace 
is at the root of forgiveness. You cannot pardon someone's wrongdoing or declare them as righteous without grace. Anything less than grace would be operating out of pride, uh, selfishness, manipulation, hatred, and meanness. Forgiveness without grace is dehumanizing because it lets people off the hook without acknowledging the wrong that has been done. Forgiveness without grace demands payment but no sacrifice. God shows us that the true forgiveness is costly because it involved the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ, who died as a substitute for us so that we can be forgiven. He paid the debt that we could not pay. He bore the wrath. We sang the song, Jesus, thank you for bearing the wrath that I could not bear. He made enemies friends. Jesus shows us that, that forgiveness is rooted in the character of God. Forgiveness is not only an act, but forgiveness is fundamentally a person. That is why forgiveness is so important. The first point, why is forgiveness so important? Forgiveness is important because it's not only what God does, but forgiveness is who God is. God is merciful. He is compassionate. He is kind, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he's forgiving. Forgiveness is important to God. So therefore, it should be important to us. For God to forgive, uh, the transcendent must become imminent. God must humble himself to get low enough to forgive us. Forgiveness has a proximity, and it desires to bring two opposing parties closer together. Forgiveness seeks connection. We cannot forgive from a distance. Because even God had to put on flesh to forgive us. God had to come down, Emmanuel, God with us. Paul says in Colossians 3.10 that we must put on the new self. Just as, as, as Jesus put on flesh to come down to forgive, we must put on the new self. You cannot put on clothing without it touching your skin. You cannot put on clothing without feeling its warmth and, and the fabric, its smell. So likewise, to put on the new self, which Paul says is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, it's like putting on new clothes. Paul is saying that uh, uh, we, we, we look more, we are going to look more and more like Jesus as we are being renewed to reflect the image of God. If we, if we go back to this clothing metaphor, the clothing that we receive, it must be tailor-made. Now, I'm not saying that the substance has to change, but I'm saying it must be fitted for us. The material and the substance of the fabric does not change, but the fittedness, it depends on your body type. What I'm trying to say is that the new self looks different on you than it does on me. We are putting on the same clothes. We are putting on the same Christ-like compassion, humility, kindness, patience, and forgiveness. So, th so the substance doesn't change, but the color of my compassion the fabric of my kindness and humility and meekness looks different. And we get into trouble when we apply an all, a one-size-fits-all forgiveness. Many times our view of forgiveness is not radical enough. 
A, a simple apology might work for you, but for another a person, a simple apology is not enough because they want the wrongs to be made right. Uh, a legal victory might work for you, but for another, they want to see heart change before anything else because laws don't change hearts. Laws are important, don't get me wrong. A written statement acknowledging wrongdoing and repentance might work for you, but for another person, real substantive action is needed for forgiveness to be given. Forgiveness is important to God because God forgives us and has mercy on us, and he helps us to forgive others. The act of, of forgiving the other person is a result of our new life in Christ. It is our, our, our new disposition and orientation in the world. We must move toward those who the world moves away from, the poor, the marginalized, the, the prisoner, the one who does not hold my political, social, or religious views. Without forgiveness, there can be no real relationship. And when there is real relationship, there is deep hurt, there is pain, there is deep truth, because forgiveness is costly. Desmond Tutu, a former archbishop of Cape Town and known for his work as a human rights activist against apartheid in South Africa, he said this. He said, forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies or, or, or our loved ones are not about pretending that things are other than they are. It is not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the pain, the hurt, and the truth. And check this out. This is what he says. He says, it could even make things worse. It is a risky undertaking, he says, but in the end, it is worthwhile because in the end, only an honest confrontation with, the rea with reality can bring real healing. True forgiveness sometimes makes things worse. Forgiveness, a lot of times we hear the, the phrase, uh, you know, forgive and forget, but forgiveness does not forget wrongs. It actually remembers the wrongs, but it doesn't hold it against you. Forgive and forget is wrong because we can say forget. When we say forget, we are, in, we are practicing injustice. That's why in the African-American community, the African-American community is fighting to teach black history in the home and in many black churches because they don't want to forget the beauty and the achievement of African-Americans in the U.S., but also the profound pain and suffering that many have gone through. That's why we say in this country, and, and never forget, September 11th, right? Never forget. And we have a memorial to the tragedy that happened on September 11th. And we remember the brave work of the first responders, the, the police officers, the firefighters, and ordinary citizens. We cannot forgive and forget because forgiveness demands looking at the depravity of humanity and seeing that redemption is possible. This point is illustrated in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, uh, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And after Adam and Eve broke this commandment, they realized that they were naked and ashamed. And what they did afterwards, they, they took fig leaves and they made loincloths. They, they basically covered up their private parts. And when the Lord found them hiding and, and he asked them what happened, God did several things. The Bible says he cursed the serpent for tempting Adam and Eve. He put enmity between Satan and the seed of Eve. And every woman afterwards, he said, would have pain in childbirth. He cursed the ground with thorns and thistles. And he pronounced that everyone will die and return to dust. So you see this pronouncement of judgment, right? They, they have broken the commandment, the law. You shall not eat of any, you, should, you can eat of any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge, you shall not eat. And the day they did it, all hell broke loose. And after, check this out, after the cursing and the judgments, God still showed grace, compassion, and forgiveness. In Genesis 3.21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve made fig leaves and covered their private parts, but God showed them grace by covering their bodies. Adam and Eve made fig leaves that were a temporary fix, but God gave them skin that was a permanent fix. Adam and Eve fig leaves kept them covered, but God's skin kept them warm. Adam and Eve's fig leaves represent what they, des- what they did deserve, but God's skin represented what they did not deserve. And, and Adam and Eve fig leaves represent man's attempt to save himself, but God's skin represents the salvation that costs the life of an animal. God always gives when we're too ashamed to ask. We must see our own nakedness for us to be truly covered by Jesus. We cannot be redeemed and, and made to look like Jesus until we face the hard truth that, uh, that we never wanted Christ's forgiveness in the first place. For the Bible says we were enemies of God. We, we believed that, that God was unjust. He was unloving. He was a tyrant, arbitrary, un, unimpressive, and unforgiving. But thanks be to God who loved us back to life and who took us through a process of grace. Now, in this particular uh, uh, verse here, I'm going to show you some biblical principles because this is a topical sermon. And in topical sermons, you could pull from any part of the Scripture. Amen. So Glenn has given me some freedom. Amen. So you're not going to see this process in Colossians 3, but it is biblically based what I'm about to give you. All right? So here's the first part of this process. The first part is to acknowledge wrong done or confess. We, we do it every Sunday. We must recognize that we have done wrong, and it takes honesty and humility. It takes honesty because we must look at the parts of ourselves that don't always line up to the Word of God. Paul says in Colossians 3.9, he calls it the old self. And he describes this old self as impurity, evil desire, covetousness, anger, malice, wrath, slander, lying. And it takes humility to say that I acknowledge 
my impurity. I, I acknowledge, I confess that I do have some evil desires. It takes humility to try not to defend yourself when you know that you have done wrong. It means to own up to your mistakes and to take full responsibility for your actions. We, we take off the old self and we put on the new self, but we fight this old self until Jesus comes back. So this is the, our posture when we seek forgiveness. We must first confess and say that, yes, I've done wrong. The second part, and I got this from a uh, Christian counselor in Irvine, California, Dr. Joe Raphael. He says, imagine how the offended party feels. How many of you, when you've done something wrong, do you imagine the pain that you've caused the other person? A lot of times I don't. And I love this description of, of, of imagining how the offended party feels. Many times when we have wronged someone, we feel bad for ourselves. Uh, we feel ashamed. We feel guilty. Uh, and we isolate ourselves from the offended party and forget what they must be feeling. We forget to take a walk in their shoes. If someone wronged me like how I wronged my brother or sister, then how would I feel? If we imagine how the offended party feels, then, then we get a, a fuller picture of the wrong that we have done and the pain that we have caused. Imagining the offended party's feelings validates their hurt and it humanizes them. They are not a stain on my reputation. They're not a problem that needs to quickly go away. They are a person worthy of love, made in the image of God. And just acknowledging wrong without imagining how your wrong has affected the other party is insensitive and not compassionate. And if we cannot show empathy to the other, then we will, sh then we will struggle to show empathy and compassion to ourselves. Do you hear what I just said? If we can't forgive another person, we'll have a hard time forgiving ourselves. If, if we can't show compassion to another person, we will have a hard time showing compassion on ourselves because we're mirrors made in the image of God. And when I look at you, I see myself and you look at me. We, we're all mirrors. So the way that I treat you is the way that I treat myself. So that's the second point. Imagine, second part of the process, imagine how the offended party feels. Number three, accept the penalty for the wrong that has been done. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every wrongdoing has a penalty, and, and we must be willing to accept the penalty if we can ever, ever, ever truly seek forgiveness. And biblical forgiveness involves sacrifice. Uh, in Leviticus, if, even if you sin unintentionally, they had to sacrifice the bull to, to atone for your sins. Something must die in order for the relationship to continue. You know, when God made covenants with his people, he, 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 he would sacrifice, he, 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 he sacrificed the animal, and he says, and he walked past, he walked through the animal and said, do this to me if I don't keep my part. So forgiveness involves sacrifice, and love must be stronger than death. Because forgiveness is the practice of death, I believe, and resurrection. We, we accept the penalty of our sin so that we can be restored and made new. We, we say, in order for me to forgive you, something must die so that I can see you new again. So in forgiveness, there is this, I believe, practice of death and resurrection. Process four, 
We seek to make amends to repair the broken relationship. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, uh, so if you are offering your gift to the altar and there is a member, uh, remember that you're, and, you're, and there, remember that your brother has uh, something against you. So you're offering your gift at the altar and then you remember, oh, my, my, my brother has something against me. The Bible says, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We must be reconciled. We must repair what's been damaged. We must make amends. Point uh, process five, we must present our offerings to the offended party for acceptance, basically asking for forgiveness. Psalm 51, David cried to mercy, cried to God for mercy for the wrong that he had done. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So we must uh, ask for forgiveness. And here's the final process, and I'll close with this. We must live with the results. Colossians 3.13 says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Whatever the results are in Christ, you are already forgiven. Sometimes after you have wronged someone and asked for forgiveness, they can say, I don't forgive you. And that's okay. I have six kids, and um, anytime there's a lot of wrong done. When you got six kids, there's wrong being done left and right. So when they, when they commit wrong, when they, when they hit or say a mean word or whatever, I always tell my kids, I said, okay, if you were the one who did wrong, go up to your brother or sister and say and ask them for forgiveness. And then so one day, you know, my, one of my kids, I won't name names since they're here, uh, in the building, I want to pr protect the innocent and the guilty. But um, one of my kids, they, they wronged one, one the other, right? And I said, you know, so-and-so, go and, and, and forgive your brother or sister. I won't say, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it ambiguous here. And um, so the, 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 this, my, one, my kid goes up to their brother or sister, and they, and they said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, Okay. And, and the brother or sister said, no, I don't forgive you. And then they, they looked at me, Daddy, I, you asked me to, I went through the process. You know, I asked for forgiveness. I acknowledged my wrong. I, I imagine how I feel in their shoes. And, and then they said, I don't forgive you. What's wrong? What's wrong with them? And I always tell them, you know, you have to wait. You have to wait until the, the person that you offended is ready to forgive you. And sometimes it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for forgiveness. Because forgiveness doesn't happen on your time. Forgiveness happens on the time of the person who's been offended. So we need to be patient. Have you ever had to wait before you were forgiven? Have you had to live with the results? And even when the results didn't turn out in your favor. And here is the beauty of the gospel. God is the offended party. And David recognized this in Psalm 51 when he had committed adultery and murder. Now, I'm not saying that Bathsheba, the, 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 the wife of the person David murdered, did not deserve justice. She did. She deserved all the justice. And, and, and she got justice from the Lord. But at the same time, all sin 
is against God. When we commit adultery, we break God's law and, viol and, 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 and violate the, the covenant commitment before God. Uh, when, when we uh, murder, we murder people made in God's image and we sin against God. David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. T-Pain sang a song. I know, yeah, that transition, amen. I got to keep, keep you interested. I got to keep you interested. T-Pain, he sang the song. We, we know what it is. We sing it at, at every uh, football game, hockey game, baseball game. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I could never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go. There you go. All right, all right. So we, we got some folks. We got some folks who know some T-Pain. All right. Well, <laughs> well, when we, we sing this song in a different melody, in a different words, every time we sing, we sin before God. We're singing, all I do is sin, 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 no matter what. Got sinning on my mind, I could never get enough. And we see now that, that God is the offended party, but instead of the offended party waiting on us to ask for forgiveness, God sends his son to be a substitute for us, and Jesus goes through the steps for us. Uh, uh, let me, let's, let's, re let's review. Jesus says, yes, Lord, I confess that they have done wrong. Jesus takes on flesh as our substitute and knows exactly how we feel. And, he, and, he, and Jesus knows exactly how the Father feels. Because if there is anybody who can walk in God's shoes, it is Jesus. Jesus accepts the penalty for the wrong that we have done, which is death. And Jesus sought to make amends and reconcile us back to the Father so that we no longer run in shame like Adam and Eve. Jesus presents himself as a living sacrifice, our perfect lamb and our perfect priest, and he asks God to forgive us. And the step six, remember, live with the results, is the most beautiful step of all. Because Jesus says to us, I have done step one, I have done step two, three, four, and five. I have done the work. Now you get to live with the results. You are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation against you. You can walk in freedom. And even when you have wronged somebody and you acknowledge your wrong and you make amends and you confess and that other person says, I don't forgive you. And then you might go back in shame like, oh, is there anything wrong with me? But remember, you have already acknowledged the wrong. You've already done the process. You are already forgiven. And so you have the power to forgive others. You have the capacity to forgive others because Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And guess what? He forgave you once and for all, and he forgives you each and every morning. Remember, we, we read it in Lamentations 3. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning you wake up, God is saying, I'm, I'm here to forgive you. I've, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you because you're in Christ. You wake up in the morning. You've done some horrible things last night, and you wake up, and, 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 and God is ready to forgive you. God isn't, God isn't ready to, to throw you away and, and, and to isolate you and say, you know what, uh, you've offended me. I can no longer be in fellowship with you. 
I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I'm, I, I'm not going to speak to you when we, when we walk in the kitchen. I'm not going to speak to you when we're at the dinner table. God doesn't do that. God says, I love you so much that I forgive you every morning. So remember that Mark Twain quote, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. When Jesus was crushed for our sins, when Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, when Jesus was crucified for our transgressions, we became the fragrance of Christ. We became the sweet smell after the violet was crushed. And now we are compelled to forgive others because that is what Jesus has done for us. We have the smell and the fragrance of the forgiveness of Christ in us so that when we walk in the community of God's people and, and we have done wrong, you already smell like Jesus. You've already been forgiven. And so guess what? Those who have been forgiven much can forgive a whole lot. We have the, you have the capacity not to just forgive one person, not to forgive your parent, your wife, your roommate. You can forgive a whole lot of people because that's what Jesus did. And if Jesus has forgiven a whole lot of people, all he said, hey, I've forgiven, you know, a couple billion. Well, you know, you can, you can forgive about 50, you know. But because, because Jesus has forgiven you, you have the fragrance of Christ. And so we could walk in forgiveness. And forgiveness is sweet. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's hurt. It, it does hurt and it's painful. But it's always beautiful. Even in the mess. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. I thank you, Father that Jesus Christ takes on our sin, our, our offense, and he loves us so much that he would bear the wrath and the anger of our injustice, of our sin, sin and of our transgressions, and he moves towards us so that we could connect with you. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would learn to see each other as you see us in Christ, already forgiven. And if there is one here tonight who is not in Christ, if there is one here tonight who has never felt the, the forgiveness of the Father, I pray, Lord, right now that they would acknowledge their brokenness, their sin, their inability to save themselves, and that you would deliver them, that you would save them, that you would love on them, that you would show compassion on them, that you would embrace them, and that you would bring them in to the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.